0: Open your Bibles with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to talk to you this morning concerning the subject of light overcoming darkness. And of course this passage here is speaking of the second coming of Christ. And if you'll look at... uh, Verse eight he speaks of this talking about a wicked or a wickedness to be revealed. I'll be talking about that. And as speaking of that spirit of Antichrist in the last days, false gospels, false Christianity, and it says whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, that's his word, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the light that comes from the word. And when Christ comes again, there will be an effulgence of his appearance that will wipe out all darkness. And that's why I entitled this Light Overcoming Darkness. But I want to show how that applies to each believer too. Uh, One of the reasons that I had Brother Mark read John chapter 12 is because there's so many parallels there concerning the issue of light and darkness But also, if you look back at verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2, I dealt with these first four verses last time, but he's talking about the second coming of Christ. And Paul says here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that that will not happen until certain things come about. He says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the day of his return, to destroy this world and to gather his people unto himself, except there come a falling away, falling away from the truth, falling away, an apostasy. That's going to happen first, and that man of sin, that's the spirit of Antichrist, be revealed. Now that revelation is to the people of God. That's not revealed to everybody without exception. That's will be revealed to the true church. And he's called the son of perdition, the son of damnation, or the the son of destruction. Now, in John chapter 12 there that Brother Mark read, Christ made this statement first talking about his crucifixion. He said, now is the judgment of this world, now is the prince of this world cast out. And that's talking about the binding of Satan, you know, in the book of Revelation and other places, we talk about the binding of Satan. Throughout the Old Testament, Satan was loose to deceive the nations. There were very few believers, most of them in Israel, not all. Very few Gentiles, but Satan was loose to, to uh, do whatever he wanted on earth. And, of course, we know it was all according to the purpose, sovereign purpose and plan of God. But at the crucifixion, Satan was bound. And what that means is his power to deceive was limited and the gospel began to be preached in Judea and then it spread out through the Gentiles. At some point in time, we don't know the exact time and it's not important that we do know, in the last days, the days that we're living in, Satan was to be loosed to deceive the nations again just like he did in the Old Testament. I believe that has already happened and we're in the process of it now this falling away the Lord's return will not come before this falling away and it's identified in this way what is generally called today and known as Christian quote unquote has fallen away or apostatized from the truth there's a lot of people who call themselves Christian but they don't know the truth a lot of churches who claim to be Christian, but they don't preach the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? I call that the visible church. I know a lot of people don't like that term. But what I mean the visible church is what you see with the physical eye. You, walk, you go up and down the streets of Albany or any city, you'll see church upon church upon church, denominations, everyone claiming to believe in Jesus. Jesus. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do they believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Because there are counterfeits. And we read about that last week. You can think about Galatians chapter 1, where Paul talked about those professing Christians who preached another Jesus, another of a different kind. In 2 Corinthians 11, he talked about those who, who corrupt the simplicity that's in Christ, the singularity, the singleness of our salvation all in Christ, his glorious person, his finished work, his blood and righteousness. And they move people away from that. They seduce. First John speaks of it. And so he says that's going to happen before Christ comes again. And he says in verse 3, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now that's antichrist. You've heard the term. It's popular in uh, Christian bookstores, as they say. Some say this is one man. man. Uh, others say it's a succession of men, but I believe it's a spirit of, of Antichrist, a, an evil spirit spawned by Satan that reveals himself, reveals itself in false preachers standing in pulpits, preaching false gospels. John mentions the term Antichrist, uh, I think it's uh, four times. In 1 John 2.18, he says the spirit of Antichrist is already here in his day. That's the Apostle John. And he mentions it in chapter 4 and then in 2 John 7. This Antichrist, in fact, turn over here to 2 John 7. I want to show you something here. This Antichrist is not a political figure. But it's a spirit Not one man who is a political figure, but it's a spirit of false religion promoted by false preachers. Now, where do I get that? Well, look at this, for example, in verse 7 of 2 John. Just one chapter. This little book of 2 John. In verse 7, John says, For many deceivers are entered into the world. Many deceivers. Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now... We don't know exactly what doctrine they were hiding or saying, uh, but it had something to do with the glorious person of Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh. We know it has something to do with the work of Christ. What did he accomplish when he died on the cross? And he says, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. You see that? And he says in verse 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, uh, but that we receive a full reward. Don't leave the gospel. That's what he's saying there. God has given us a, a glorious message. The greatest message that he could ever give to sinful people like us. How he can be just to justify the ungodly. When we talk about Christ, we talk about him as he's revealed in the scriptures who he is. When we talk about his righteousness, we know what that is. It's his, his righteousness imputed to us and from which we have life. Don't lose those things, he says. And look at verse 9. Now, now, remember what I said. This Antichrist, this spirit of Antichrist is not a political thing. It's a religious issue concerning false doctrine. And here's what, here's what he says in verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of his person, the doctrine of his finished work, the doctrine of his church, they have not God. And he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Well, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Back over uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, in uh, verse 3, he says, that falling away, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He calls him, later on, he calls him the man of lawlessness. Uh, the man of sin. Look at verse 3. Uh, he says, the son of the, or that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. A lot of translations say the man of lawlessness. Well, that's okay. But what is a man of lawlessness? Now, when you think about that term, what do you think about you think about bank robbers? You think about murderers and all that. Well, they are lawless. They disobey the law. But the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, is any person who denies the person and work of Christ. If you want to talk about the law and lawlessness, what does the Bible teach us? It teaches us that Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now anything less, anybody who claims to preach Christ and who preaches that sinners can be made righteous in any other way but the imputed righteousness of Christ, that's a man of lawlessness. Do you understand that? You think I'm being too harsh on that? (laughs) Of course not. People claiming to keep the law are people of lawlessness when they don't preach that perfection, can only be found in Christ. The righteousness of the law, His blood and His righteousness is our whole salvation. And you know here's the, here's the uh, irony of it. People will sing hymns that state that while the preacher afterward gets up and preaches against that. How I, mean, I, I mean when I was in false religion, we used to sing the solid rock all the time. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me holy? This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. So understand this. This ungodly, unholy spirit will prevail throughout the world under the guise of Christianity but denying the doctrine of Christ. False gospels. And they're known by their false doctrine. That's why Paul in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, you remember what he said? If they come preaching any other gospel, than that which we have preached, let them be anathema. They'll be known by their converts. Turn to Matthew 7. Look at this. In Matthew 7. And you know this is the Sermon on the Mount. And when I say they're known by their converts, I'm t- I'm, uh, here's what I'm saying. The people to whom they preach do not know the gospel either. Their audience who follow them, they don't know the truth. Look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there. There's a straight gate and there's a broad gate, road. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, few there be that find it. What is that broad road that leads to destruction? It's false gospels. The way of salvation by works. The way of salvation by the wills of men. It brings it down to what i said about false religion. They make salvation conditioned on man rather than on Christ. And they always judge holiness and righteousness on a sliding scale. And they measure up at some point on that scale in that way. And that's the broad road that leads to destruction. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one way of righteousness and holiness. And that's Christ on the cross, dying for the sins of his people, being raised again because righteousness has been established. There's no other way. No other way. It's totally by grace. Conditioned on him. And so in verse 15 of Matthew 7, he says, beware of false prophets. And look at what he says about it. These, they don't preach the gospel. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, appearing to be sheep. Now what is a sheep in the scripture? That's a, one of God's elect. One who is justified based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. One who believes. He was a lost sheep. Christ found his sheep, brought his sheep home. Christ died for his sheep. And so these false prophets disguise themselves as such so that they appear to be what they're not. And he says, Inwardly, they're ravening woods. He says in verse 16, You'll know them by their fruits. And the fruits he's talking about is the product of their preaching. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. That's the preaching of the gospel and the power of the spirit. That's the good fruit that God produces. Christ said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. The branches bear fruit from the vine. John 15. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. If I stand before you preaching a false gospel and you believe what I'm preaching to you, that's evil fruit. Is that understandable? A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. That is, the gospel preached in the work, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, cannot bring forth evil fruit. The result of the gospel preached in the power of the Holy Spirit will always be a sinner saved by grace, a believer. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So keep that in mind. Go back to 2 Thessalonians 2 now. This spirit of Antichrist is called the son of perdition. Now, people will say, well, why does he speak of it as if it's one man, one son? And all It's a spirit. Just like uh, uh, we're children of God, sons of God. It's a spirit. And that son of perdition. You remember Judas was called the uh, son of perdition. Is this Judas? No. It's anyone who follows the way of Judas, follows the way of false preaching, and it's it's... Perdition means destruction and death. You see, again, Christ is the only way of righteousness in life. Now, this spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of darkness. It's the spirit of deception. Christ is the spirit of truth and light. And in the, in the case of the kingdom of God, and this is our comfort, in the case of the people of God, light will always overcome darkness. And that's what Christ was showing back in John chapter 12. He's the light. Live in the light, brothers and sisters. <laughs> don't, don't give way to the, to the things of darkness. Look at verse 4. He says, this spirit of the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, This is a spirit of opposition. Now what does he oppose? He opposes the light. He opposes the word of God. Remember over in John chapter 3 and verse 19 he said, This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness and hated the light because their deeds were evil. That's what he opposes. It's not somebody who who, uh, uh, in the eyes of the natural man is immoral in in the eyes of men as men judge it but it's one who opposes the gospel who opposes the true preaching of Christ who opposes his righteousness as the only ground of salvation and he exalts himself as he claims final authority in other words i know what you know, it's like this you know they say well here it is in the word of god but i'm not going to preach that I'll preach something else. I've heard preachers say that. Well, they're exalting themselves above God. Why do you say that? Because this is God's word. And it's there to be preached to God's people. And God's people love it. That's why. We love the light. We love the truth. And so anyone, for example, who claims the gospel of free willism, the gospel of conditional salvation, the gospel of righteousness attained by works or by character transformations, that's the darkness. It's not Christ. Remember, we read in 2 Corinthians 11 last week about those who, who seek to draw people away from the simplicity that's in Christ. And you know what? It's just too simple for the natural man. I mean to say everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we're going to experience in glory, it's all of Christ. It's all of grace. There's not one inkling of salvation that we can attribute to ourselves. Think about that. Not one. Not one blessing. Not one benefit. It's all of grace based upon the righteousness of God's Son. And anybody who seeks to draw people away from that is trying to corrupt the simplicity of Christ. Well, here in verse uh, 4, he says this antichrist, this one who exalts himself, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, again, Paul's not speaking of one individual here, but he's speaking of a kingdom that was to be seized by Satan for the purpose of setting up a seat of abomination in the midst of God's temple. Now, what is God's temple? Well, the New Testament tells us that the temple of God, after the cross... Is the church. The church. Is the house of God. The church. True church. Where the gospel is preached. Is the family of God. The true church. Is the kingdom of God. The true church. Is the temple of God. Now before the cross. There was a temple. In Jerusalem. And it was built. And there was the worship of God. There's the revelation of God. But all of that was a type. A A picture. And it was was destroyed. It was abolished by way of fulfillment. Christ said it's finished. The veil was written too. The priesthood, that earthly priesthood is gone now. That which is old waxeth away. It's all fulfilled in Christ. He is our high priest. He is our altar. He is our sacrifice. And he fulfilled it all. He's not talking about here of a new physical temple to be built in Jerusalem and to be occupied in that way. This is the church. And, and all of this, Christ, think, think about, uh, let me give you this to think about. Antichrist, inspired by Satan. Christ, the true Christ is God in human flesh. Antichrist is Satan in the flesh. Christ is one person. Antichrist is many persons. You see Satan cannot be omnipresent as the Lord is. Christ is ever, he's wherever his people is by his spirit and by his word. Satan cannot do that. The embodiment of Satan in human flesh must take form in many, many persons. And they're carrying out the works of their father, the devil. Remember Christ told the Pharisees in John 8, 44, You're of your father, the devil, and his works you do. So this this temple is the church. Now, here's where we make the distinction between the visible church and the true church. The true church of the living God is the pillar and ground of truth. The true church of the living God is the light of the world. That's what the Bible says. But generally what is seen in this world, in what historians call Christendom, that's the visible church. And the majority of that visible church has forsaken the truth. Here's what I want you to see, and we'll get to this later on. But look at verse 13. Well, then how can any of us be safe? Well, look at it. But we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. The true church, the true people of God, have been set apart by the Spirit of God, and it's known by belief of the truth, you see, that the gospel Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like in, Jeru- in Israel in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the majority of them rejected God's word, rejected God's prophets. But by God's grace, there was always a remnant. What was generally known as Jerusalem and Israel, they were not the people of God at all, Spiritually. And what is generally known as the church today, they're not the people of God at all. But the true church, the elect of God, the justified, justified persons, the elect of God whom He will not impute sin, those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, those who are given life from the dead, born again by the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, we're safe and sound and secure in Christ. And that's comforting, isn't it? That's why he says at the end of this, in verse 17, comfort your hearts. Folks, we're living in hard times. Aren't we? And I'm not just talking about politically and all that. I know that's hard. That's Pretty much always been hard. But we're living in hard times. We're living in a time when I believe Satan has been loosed to deceive the nations. And he's doing the job. But look at verse 5. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul said, I'm just telling you something I've already told you. I'm reminding you. And he says in verse 6, and now you know what withholdeth. What holds back that he might be revealed in his time. Now in Paul's day, it seems as though Satan was still bound. He was being held back, being restrained. And who is restraining him? Look at verse 7. He says, for the mystery of iniquity, and that, that's a that's a term we need to understand now, he said doth already work only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way he's talking about the Holy Spirit holding back Satan's deception for a time not a hundred percent Satan was still deceiving but holding him back until he be loosed and set loose like he was in the Old Testament to deceive the nations and that's happening now Think about this. What is this mystery of iniquity? Well, you know, a mystery in the Bible is something that we cannot see naturally. If we see it and understand it and it's exposed, it takes the Spirit of God to open our eyes to expose it. So this is an iniquity that people by nature cannot see. It's iniquity that is deceptive. What is this iniquity? It's the religions of man that are opposed to God's way of salvation. Remember Matthew 7 21 through 23? Haven't we preached in your name, uh, done, cast out demons, done many wonderful works, only to hear Christ say, Depart from me, you that work iniquity? How can it be iniquity? It doesn't measure up to the perfection of righteousness that can only be found in Christ. That's how. So this mystery of iniquity is prevailing. Let me give you this rundown. Think about this question. Why and how will Satan prevail against the church, the true church of God? Well, we know it's God's plan to bring judgment upon this earth by loosing Satan to deceive the whole world. That's God's judgment. Did you know that? That's not God being taken by surprise. That's God's judgment. And since the death of Christ, Satan has been bound and the gospel's been preached throughout the world to Gentiles and Jews, and I'm talking about since the time of Paul here. And then he will be loo- but Satan will be loosed. Which I believe he's already been. And he'll be given the same power that he had in the Old Testament, as I said, before the cross. He'll prevail in the visible church here on earth as it will be overcome with lies. False gospels. But God's elect will be safe. And God will have his witness in this world. But according to his plan, that witness will be reduced to almost nothing. How many people do you know that live in areas where there's no true gospel preach to go to? And most of the visible church will turn apostate, fall away from the gospel truth. And it's in this way that the churches will be prepared to set up an abomination of desolation in the midst of them, which again is false preachers standing in pulpits preaching a false gospel, a false Christ. It will seem like the true church has been defeated for a while book of Revelation talks about this. By the forces of Satan and the leadership of the spirit of Antichrist. But it will not prevail. Look back here in 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. He'll be exposed to the people of God whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. The word of God. The, the authority. The power. Of God's word. And he shall destroy this spirit of darkness with the brightness, the light, the effulgence of his coming. Verse 9: Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, signs and wonders that will impress the flesh, impress people. What do you all do here at this church? Well, we preach the gospel. Is that all? Is that all you do? Well, everybody does that. No, they don't. Verse 10, all deceivableness of unrighteousness. An unrighteousness that is deceptive in them that perish. And it's because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, let me close with this thing about the love of the truth. And that's where we, I'm going to pick up next week on this. Do I love the truth? Do you love the truth? You know, there are people who say they believe the truth, but they don't love it. Well, listen to this. He who loves the truth, loves the gospel, loves Christ, searches the scriptures, to find the truth about Christ and His redeeming work. Here's what I want to know, and here's what you should want to know. When I stand up here to preach and I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, am I preaching the truth in God's Word concerning Christ? Who He is, what He's accomplished, or am I preaching another Jesus? I want to know that, don't you? I don't want to be deceived. And whatever this book says about Christ, who he is and what he accomplished to save his people from their sins. Not that one, not that counterfeit who's trying to save but cannot or who who died for all people, even those who perish, but the one who saved his people. Is that the truth I love to hear? Or am I okay with anything else? He who loves the truth about Christ and His redeeming work. He who loves the truth turns to Christ for all salvation. Pleads His blood. Pleads His righteousness imputed. And forsakes all else. And that's called repentance. Am I like Paul the Apostle over in Philippians chapter 3? Here's what he said. Here's a man who loves the truth. He says, but what things were gained to me, and what was gained to Paul, his religion, his heritage, his works, his experiences, his dreams, his vision. He said, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And do, listen to this, do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. But that which is through the faith, the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's a man who loves the truth. Oh, you know, I know people who claim to believe the truth, but boy, they cannot let go of their past religion, their past experiences, like Paul, and call them dumb. That's what it was. And Paul, you know, you can translate that Greek word however you want to, but it means just exactly what you think it means. In light of Christ, it's all dumb. He who loves the truth abides in the truth. He won't leave it. You can't leave it. You can't ignore it. You can't deny it. You can't leave it. If you love it. And we know the score, don't we? The reason we can't leave it is because Christ won't let us. He won't let us go. We're kept by the power of God in Christ. No one shall pluck him out of my father's hand, he said. We can't leave it. We're like Peter. To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. If you contracted cancer, and there was one doctor in town who had the one cure, would you avoid him? Would you ignore him? Would you deny him? Would you leave him? You'd be on his doorstep day and night. Trying to get that cure. And then he who loves the truth. Judges all things by that truth. There are a lot of nice people. In false religion aren't there? I mean a lot of nice people. Why can't we receive them. As brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they know not the gospel. Our goal is that they hear it. And our prayer is that God brings them to believe it. That's God's work. It's not my work. It's not your work. Only God saves sinners. Do we love the truth? Do we love the people of God who love the truth? That's our fellowship. That's our family, isn't it? Well, we'll pick up there next week on.